So I wanted to continue with this verses out of context, misunderstanding verses kind of thing. And I actually have another one. And this one's kind of interesting because it's a verse that I don't think is used wrong or incorrectly necessarily. But I also don't think it is used correctly either. And it's kind of weird to say that something could be correct and incorrect, wrong and not wrong. But as I kind of go over this, you'll maybe understand a little bit. So the verse that I'm talking about actually is Matthew 18, 20, which you've probably all heard it and you've probably even quoted this. It's actually kind of funny because I was trying to decide whether or not this was the episode I wanted to record today. And then my pastor today actually said this verse and quoted it in a way that I don't think is wrong or correct at the same time. So I thought, hmm, maybe that's the Lord pushing me to actually talk about this one. And the verse is, um, like I said, Matthew 18, 20, it reads, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, you've probably heard this numerous times. You've probably said this numerous times, especially if you've been in a small group or even just like with a family member or a friend. You've probably said this to encourage, and you've probably heard pastors say this. And I've maybe said this before, but I can't really think of ever saying this verse and using it in the sense of saying like, Hey, the Lord is with us. I think I might have, I'm, I'm sure I have. It's I've lived a life of quoting verses before and I've, but I've always been really careful about it because there's been something that's been in me that said, hmm, maybe that's not the right way to be quoting that. I've never really known what it was. And I thought maybe I was alone in this until I was actually listening to a podcast that I listen to quite often called 10 minute Bible hour. I've mentioned it before. And in just a small little passing in one of the um, episodes recently, he was just kind of listening off while talking to someone. Uh, he said something about people taking verses out of context. And he actually mentioned this verse just in passing. Like he was just reciting verses. It was like, oh, people say this one, this one, this one. And he didn't go into any detail, but I thought, oh, wow, someone else has said something about this verse maybe being used wrong. And that brought my curiosity out and I wanted to read what people kind of said about it. And I kind of came to my own conclusions as well, but I kind of agreed with what these people were saying. But before I get into the specifics of this verse, I want to like just say a little small history thing, just because some people may not know this. Um, when the Bible was first written in the, in the Bible, meaning these letters, because that's what every book of the Bible in the New Testament is, is a letter. Uh, the authors wrote these letters to a specific audience. They're not actually books as we think of them today. And when we look at it, and any Bible you're going to buy at a store, and probably anywhere, is going to have chapters and verses. But chapters and verses weren't added into the, to the Bible into, until the um, 1500s. So they've barely been around 500 years, not even 500 years, the actual verses, verse numbers and chapter numbers. Prior to the 1500s, it was just one giant letter that people read. They added it for convenience sake. So because of that, verses in the sense of numbers and order are not divinely inspired. That's just the truth of it. Every biblical scholar, every pastor will agree that's the truth of it because verses and chapters were not added until later. They were added for convenience so that you could say, hey, look up Matthew chapter 18, 
people would be able to turn to it real quick and not have to be like, hey, go to Matthew where he talks about this and then you're sitting there searching forever. So keep that in mind. And that's important for this whole, these past couple episodes I've been talking about, just to think about that, that we can't pick and choose verses because these are written as wholes. These are written as stories as a whole, sections as a whole, and we need to look at it that way. So getting back to what we're talking about here, let's read Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20, because 20 is the one I kind of have. I don't want to say issues, but issues with, with how people use it. But we'll talk, we'll look at the whole story, this whole section, which is the 15 through 20. So uh, Matthew 15 through 20 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if, you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So this whole section here is talking about discipline and dispute in the church body and the body of believers against your brothers. Um, I've heard a lot of sermons here recently talking about this because it's a challenging type of uh, discipline in the church, but it's biblical because, you know, by the way, it's just saying if you have a conflict with someone in your church, first you talk to them one-on-one, then you bring in a third party, and if that doesn't do it, then you bring it before the church, which sounds extreme to think about bringing someone in front of your entire church, especially if you go to a bigger church. That would be pretty, I don't want to say embarrassing, but that could be embarrassing for someone to be just brought in front of the whole church about an issue, but that's why there's steps prior to that. So, but thinking about that, this whole for where two or three are gathered in my name, if it's part of this whole section, if it's not a standalone verse, which when Matthew wrote this, it's Jesus's words and it's Jesus's words in this one whole section of a comment he made. So that would technically mean that that verse is in regard to this disciplinary action. So where for, where, for where two or three are gathered. Okay. We go back up to uh, 16, take one or two others along with you. That would make it to where one or two others along with you, two or three, so that the evidence of two or three witnesses may be established. Okay, so this is talking about in the disciplinary act. So that I think what that means from my own interpretation of this is, you know, you have the one-on-one if your brother sins against you. And I don't want to say God's not in that moment, but I think the reason having someone else do with you is because say I have an issue with someone in my church or just in life, I may actually be the one in the wrong. But if I bring this issue to someone and it does turn out I have the righteous motive behind it and I'm able to bring someone along with me because they see that, then God will be there. He'll show up. He's not going to show up on my side in a one-on-one if I'm in the wrong. But if I've got witnesses with me who are also saying and establishing that this person is incorrect, God is going to be in there in that moment. And I think that's what this verse means because that's just what it kind of says where two or three are gathered in my name in this disciplinary action. And I also want to make a point that even not in this disciplinary uh, action, this verse still holds true. That's why I don't want to say I have any issue 
with how people quote this because it's still a true statement even when not looking at a disciplinary uh, area. Saying it about, you know, like I have a Bible study I'm in, there's three of us in it, God's definitely there. That statement still holds true. Where two or three are gathered, he is there. And he is there for sure. So that's why this verse still isn't wrong. But here's why I say we need to be careful about using this verse, not in its context of talking about disciplinary stuff. Because let's, look, let's read that verse again. I know I've said it a few times, so let's read it again. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So two or three. Think about that. The number two, the number three. What's less than two? One. One would be me by myself. So the inverse of looking at this verse this way is if it takes two or three to be gathered for God to be there among us, does that imply that when you're by yourself, God is not among you? Now, obviously, that's a, not a true statement. God is there even when only one is there. Because the moment we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we begin this relationship with him, it says, Jesus said, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit when we accept him into our life. So we have the Holy Spirit living among us, which the Holy Spirit is God. That's part of the Trinity. So therefore, once we have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Christ, Holy Spirit is in us, that means God is always among us. And there is parts of the Bible where it talks about having alone time with God. And alone time with God is a very important thing. You see even Jesus go on the mountainside to have alone time with God. So if we look at this verse thinking about it as, oh, it takes two or more people for God to be among us, it completely devalues any thought of alone time with God. And it just implies, and I don't think anyone saying this ever means this implication, but from an analysis standpoint, it implies that God cannot be somewhere unless two or three or more are gathered in his name. And that's just false. We all surely can agree that that is false, that God is there, whether it is just us, whether it's just half of us. If I get cut in half for some weird reason and I don't die, God is still there even if I'm only half of my person. So God is there no matter what. And that's why we have to be slightly careful. You know, this statement is not wrong, but this statement belongs to a whole section of the Bible. Verse 20 is not a standalone verse. It works as a standalone verse, but it's part of a greater story, which is 15 through 20. And we don't want to ever devalue alone time with God. We don't ever want to imply that God cannot show up unless there is a body of people together, because that is just false. If I happen to get in some crazy plane crash on an island and I'm the only one surviving, I'm the only one on that island, God's still there. God will show up. He's not going to not take care of me. He's not going to be there with me just because the unfortunate thing happened and I'm the only person living on this island and I'm by myself. Obviously, that's false. God is there. God will be with you and God will take care of you. So let's, with that in mind, always remember that there's always a greater context of a verse. And even if the verse isn't being misused, it still may not be being used correctly. And that's just my take on all that. And I'm not a pastor.